Are you tired of people only telling you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear? Me too. I'm Lauren Lahav, and for the last 30 years, I've been blessed to speak to thousands of people around the world and share the stage with some of the world's biggest thought leaders. The Get Real podcast is my way of breaking down the BS of the filters of what we say and what we do. Real life, real issues, real solutions. Trust me when I tell you, it wasn't always like that for me. And I'm excited to help you through sharing what has worked for me, but most importantly, what didn't work for me. In the world of political correctness and living our lives on social media, what is real? In my life, I always look to people who understand what I'm going through and are willing to be real with me to help me move through it. With this podcast, I want to be that person for you. Whether it's just us or I bring in one of my friends, I promise these episodes will make a difference in your life. So strap in, hang on tight, and let's get real. And now it's time to get into the podcast. Here's Lauren. Hey, everybody, and welcome to This Is Your Show. Let me tell you why this is totally your show, because if this doesn't say what you are, yeah. That is you, right? Is that so you? Trucking genius. <laughs> is that what it says? It says, yeah, that genius. <laughs> Freaking genius. Love that. But um, this, I'm so excited to have you here on Unapologetically Authentic. That is the name of this show. And uh, I just am here with my amazing friend, Kevin Donahue. I'm very shiny tonight. So what do you think? You look great. It's all good. You know, me doing those luxury Lauren things that are so important to me. But anyway, I, everybody's been asking me to do a podcast, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to think of my favorite people in the world and share them with the world. Great. And so, you know, one of my best friends, she pretty much launched the show, Heidi Krupp, and then now you, Kevon, and I mean, I could just sit and listen to you for hours, but you really helped me, I would say, in one of the darkest times of my life, and... Um, it's, it's cool. I think it's a really cool story, actually, yeah. about how people also make assumptions about things, too. Sure. And yeah. um, so the story goes, basically, um, there was a, Tony Robbins was doing a program, and it was the Life Mastery program that my friend was teaching, and then uh, they asked us to go to, Shore and I, to go to the program to be able to learn the information for Wealth Mastery, and she was like, ah, I don't want to go to the program. Because you guys were going, the, the economy had just turned. The economy had definitely Yeah, and a lot of people were suffering. And so what better to do than go get a little more education, or at least some more insights, distinctions, people to sit in a room and be a part of a seminar or a yeah. training or whatever it may be. Right, I mean, and if you're not, not growing, there were a lot of people complaining back then. Yeah. I'm not coming up with some solutions to yeah, the challenges. Yeah, you know, I had a friend that put it this way. A lot of people were, uh, it's like the Titanic had sunk. And they were in life fests. Yeah. You know, it's like just keep your head above water, yep. right? And if you can, get into a life raft. And this is sort of like the state of the world, really, but specifically in Las Vegas and in Phoenix and some of these areas where the housing market got crushed, people were relying on something and it was the carpet was pulled right out from underneath them. What was at one point very certain, this real estate thing became the most uncertain thing and it became very traumatic. And people were also looking for someone to save them. Yeah. You know, and then they realized, you know, so nobody wasn't coming, people weren't coming to save you that first year. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, oh, is the government going to save us? Right. And then that third year was kind of like, uh, I guess nobody's coming to save us. So I guess we kind of like have to do this ourselves. We have yes. to figure out a solution. And that's why 
you know, I think that that's what I respect so much about people when they go to events. So like, I've got to participate in my own rescue. Yeah. Right? Like I got to find the solutions. Yeah. So, and, and what's great about those events or a mastermind or whatever group it is, it is people who are, have taken the investment, not only in money, but in time and energy, you know, away from their families and to, to get to the next level. So there we were. So there we were. And so like, <laughs> one thing I'm going to tell you about this podcast more than anything is that it's real and raw yeah. and, and, you know, and just really right from the heart. That's why I like to be known as the person who's real, raw, right from the heart. What you see is what you get. Sure. And so I show up there at this program and it must have been like 450 people I yeah, think there in the program. And uh, I had a lot of my friends that were working the event and they said, find a buddy. And so I think they're either like you were right in front of me or right behind me or something. Yeah, it was one of those moments in, a, in an event where, uh, you know, the leader says, turn to the person next to you and, <laughs> you know, and discuss whatever your feelings are about money, whatever it was. I can't remember the question exactly. I turned to my person to the left and they were talking to somebody. I turned to my person to my right, right and they were That's talking right. to somebody. And then I turned around and there you were with your big, beautiful smile, <laughs> your Lauren smile, right? And uh, I said, and you just said, hey, and you're like, let's be buddies. And I, at the time, had long blonde surfer dude hair. I had just come from Costa Rica. Yep. I'd been living in Costa Rica. Actually, I was still living in Costa Rica. And I had done a cross-country drive. Right. And in, your, a, in, your, in your white Toyota. It was a green Toyota. A green, oh, yeah. something. Green, green, green white, whatever. Yeah, so, and you know, and I was on a sort of a personal development journey and I'd uh, gone cross-country and done some other programs and I ended up there. And it was kind of random, but you know, how, how life works, it's not really random. Right. It's definitely so there we were, and all of a sudden we were. We were buddies. Next thing, we, yeah, we were buddies, but I thought we're going to be real and raw about this, right? So yeah. my friends go, "Oh my God, Lauren, like she's talking to this hot surfer dude. <laughs> Obviously, they're going to hook up, right?" And I was like, "God, it's like amazing, like how people love to just make up these stories." And yeah. um, and and you know, you were just sharing with me like your life's journey of what I mean. Just I don't know. We were just like I felt like you were a brother. Like I felt like I it was like a brother. I haven't seen in a long time or even met and then we just stayed up and just talked and you showed me your life book yeah i remember that yeah well and that was a thing too is uh to rewind a little bit you know we both come from the east coast you north carolina myself i'd spent a lot of time in western north carolina but really virginia right you know so it was like i was in this massive transition period too different than yours right, right? i had come from where i worked with the white house and homeland security and the pentagon and the cia selling software programs, I had said goodbye to all of that and had gone to Costa Rica. And I came back and I was sort of resetting too. So there we were, both sort of like kindred spirits, like just kind of sharing each other's journey. Yeah. And, uh, and I had no idea at the time that you were deeply involved in the Tony Robbins event. Right. And what was funny about that was I had just put in my life book, I wanted to meet Tony Robbins. Oh, that's right. And, and a few weeks later, later, I got you on crew, and the next thing you know, I'm you're back traveling already, Robbins. and you're on security. Yeah. You knew me from the White House, and I'm like, you need you on security. And you're like, security here. Yeah. I'm White House. I know I've worked at the White House. I could be on security, right? Yeah, there I was working on Tony Robbins' detail uh, in the security team. But it was first backstage at that like, at the leadership. Leadership, yeah. Program, yeah, which is in, yeah. Uh, in the San Diego area. Anyway. Um, it was just fascinating. It was, you just never know who you're going to meet, how you're going to meet them, or what's going to come of it. And it's sort of, you know, leading life with this idea of how can I help and how can I serve? And that's how I felt when I met you. Right. And I think you felt the same way. I did. And I felt that once again, like that once again, that this show for me is really about 
being just unapologetically authentic. And I yeah. think so many, especially now in the world, yeah. um, people, you know, we hear the word authentic and we, and we like whatever, however we, we, we label that now, but you see so many people now in pain, um, searching like, who am I? I think they said that this, the, the millennials, it's the most depressed generation of any generation before. Like, and, and you know, the, the challenges that we see is, so I say like, pick your heart. What's going on now is not hard compared to like right. what happened when our, your grandmother and my grandparents were growing up. But um, they're really looking for purpose. And, and once again, there's so much comparison. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I think that the thing that we can help people with is really just about staying true to themselves yeah. and just being authentic. And they're going to, you know, there are, there are plenty of people that don't like me, I'm sure, out there. You know, obviously, they don't know me and know my intentions of who I am and what I stand for. But about, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, like you did some things that weren't um, conventionally like okay. Like people go like, what? You worked at the White House? Now you're going to go do this? And yeah. then you just really had to stay true to yourself. Yes. My dog is uh, deciding that he would like to be a part of this conversation. Is that Mojo or is so that that's, Buddy? That's Buddy making sure that he lets you know he he's that. real. Yes. Yeah, he's keeping it real. So, uh, so yeah, you know, um, one of the things for me was, uh, you know, it's the difference between following our following the rules, like following someone else's plan, or right. following our heart, and that's sort of like staying true or being authentic. Uh, different ways to define it, you know. But uh, but really, for me, authenticity was, you know, I, I had gone to college and I had got a degree in criminal justice. So I grew up in Washington D.C. and in Washington D.C., uh, you know, the business of Washington D.C. is government. You, you know, my father worked for the government. My mother was a school teacher, a librarian. Uh, my neighbors worked for the government. They worked for the, you know, the Pentagon, whatever. That's what you did. Right. So growing up, that's what I thought everyone did. Right. I thought everyone got a job with the government, and that's how life worked. So going off to college, you know, people ask me, what do you want to study? I'm like, I don't know. What do you study to be a government worker? And, you know, <laughs> and I just thought you kind of had this rule. Life was sort of cookie cutter, and it right. was cut out, and you just follow the rules, and that's how you found, quote, unquote, success. And I said, well, if I'm going to go to college, I want to join the government. Might as well do something cool. What's, what would be a cool government job? You know, Secret Service, U.S. Marshals, you know, catch the bad guys, right? Yeah. And so I got a degree in criminal justice. <clears throat> and as uh, I got out of college, um, I started applying for different police agencies. You know, got to the polygraph tests, all the whole nine yards. But at, while I was applying, it's a pretty deep process. They do 10-year background investigation. It's pretty nuts. Yeah. Uh, and as I was doing it, I was working with a construction equipment rental company and I was renting heavy construction equipment, and I started making lots of money. And I was, you know, on the track to make $50,000, $60,000 a year with a company truck. Meanwhile, I was applying to be with police departments that were paying $35,000 a year, and I said, forget that. I don't really want to do that anyway. Right. So I said, I'll just stick with this, with this uh, program. Uh, and so I kind of turned my back on working with the government and sort of really focusing on business. And, uh, you know, I remember I got my first paycheck. Not my first paycheck. It was my first commission check. And I sold this giant John Deere 644 wheel loader, and it paid me $5,000 some dollars. Wow. One sale. And all I did was talk. It was a conversation. I'm like, are you telling me I can turn my words into money? And I'll have to arrest people and do all this stuff that a guy with a criminal justice degree would do? And I said, wow, this is it. You know, this is great. And then after doing that for a while, I decided I wanted to get into big, I wanted to work with CEOs. Instead of construction boots, I wanted to put on a suit. So I went to work for a big software company, and then our, we did these gigantic deals. Right. And there I was building a successful career for myself. Right. But I never once thought, what do I really want? 
Like, what am I about? Because school doesn't teach you that. Right, absolutely. School yeah. goes like this. Kindergarten, first grade, what's next? Second grade, third grade, there's a plan, right? And I said, okay, I'll just follow this rule. And so here I was in my career, like, okay, cool. There's going to be success the next step and success, and it just wasn't happening. Right. And, you know, I started working with big organizations, like, you know, some of the largest companies in the country, and then working with, like, the White House, Homeland Security, some of these big agencies. And there I was advising them, you know, advising them on, on archiving, policy, uh, you know, investigation. I sold forensic investigative search I'm going to interrupt for one second. Yeah. And because as you're talking, like, I'm thinking, you know, we always say how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And, you know, you look at you and you've reinvented yourself many times, yeah. right? Lots of times. And I think lots of times people get scared about that reinvention process. But you can yes. hear just, you can even hear the certainty in your voice. Like, that's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm like done with that one. Well, now I want to wear a suit. Yes. Now I want to be a this. So now I want to do that. What would you say to people? Because I think a lot of people probably why they're even listening to this show, yeah. right? Is is that like how you do it like like how important i think gary v talks about all the time about knowing who you are yeah and so i think people get stuck in that well this is who i am instead of knowing that the the rediscovery process is what life's about what yeah. would you say well, about here's, that here, I, I kind of would dispel that like i look it doesn't matter it, knowing who i am necessarily it's knowing who i want to become right or knowing where I'm going. I think one of the keys to life is having something to look forward to. Absolutely. Like if you want sort of happiness or fulfillment, it's have something on the calendar to look forward to. We're, we're sort of pre-framed back from elementary school. Hey, okay, if I finish first grade, I can go to second grade. Right. There's always something to look forward to. If I finish high school, I go to college or whatever it may be, right? So I think it's really critical. It's not who I am, but who do I want to become? And who you're becoming in the process. Yeah. Right? And like of what you like what you learned from that one uh, the the one thing that you did and then what it was gonna, you know, what take those lessons yeah. and maybe apply it to this next whatever, just yeah. in a suit. It's in who process. I'm becoming determines who I am. Right? So it's it's this constant process, this evolution. And so uh, you know, as you're going through these programs, as you're going through life and career, it's like what's next? And for me, it was like, okay, I was kind of tired of being the low man on the totem pole in the construction business. Right. You know, I'm the last guy, the, and I'm getting yelled at by these construction workers. I'm like, wait a minute. I want to work at a higher level. I want to deal with CEOs. But what made you have the confidence to know that you could do that? I think the thing that we need to help people do yeah. is help them know that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Say, you know what? This just doesn't feel right. Yeah. It's time to move on. You know, it's time for me to just have a little you know like where there's that two seconds of courage to go you know what yeah I, I, this this was good yeah but i'm ready to move on i mean because i know for me i'm a very loyal person mm -hmm. i sometimes a little bit loyal to a to a fault, to a fault right. with yeah. regards to that. it and um and but there gets to be a point where, where now it's like you know what that that gave me some great roots yeah. but now i need those wings to fly so what gives you like what would you say to people about what it takes to either have those, you know, two seconds of courage or have more awareness about it. Like when you're more aware, you make better decisions. So what caused you to make some of those great decisions? Yeah, it's just like, what do I want to have in my life? You know, when I was a little kid, not a little kid, 11, 12, 13 years old, I wanted money. Right. So what did I have to do? I had to become a paper boy, right? And I became quickly one of the richest kids in the neighborhood because I had one paper route and another paper route and another paper route. I had four paper routes, morning and afternoon. And I had cash flow. I was overflowing. Any skateboard I wanted, I bought it. So for me, it's like, 
what do I want to have in my life? Like, what are the things, what are the experiences I want to have? And what do I have to do? And who do I have to become in order to have those things? And I think that's, you just said a very important word. <laughs> do. Yeah. Not just thinking, you know, we, we talk about that. I love the secret that it talks about intention, which is great. It talks about attention. But the part that they let out of the secret is you've got to get off your butt and go to work. Yeah. Right. So you weren't, you didn't have a challenge and you've never had a challenge going to work. No. Right. Like, you, like, like what part makes you just go, this is, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, because I think that's where a lot of people, you know, sweat equity. Yeah. Um, as you know, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. You're not getting a check. It's like, if you don't go talk to people then, and tell them about your business, then you're not bringing in, a, you're not bringing in any money. I always like to bring it back to the agricultural analogy. You know, any spiritual teacher, anyone throughout history, the best analogies are, are, are agricultural because it's clearly obvious. If you're a farmer and you want tomatoes, what do you have to do? You have to start with the seed, right? right? Well, first you got to clear the land, yes. you gotta find the land and clear the land. So you, right? you first have the thought, right? So this right. is where the secret's good because like I have to think about what I really want. Okay, right. tomatoes, great. So you go to this, what do you have to do? Go to the seed store. And then you walk down the seed aisle, you can go to try this anywhere you want, go to Home Depot, and there's a seed aisle. And you'll clearly see that there's cherry tomatoes, ripe red tomatoes, whatever. It's a picture of it right there. So now my thought, tell, and my eyes see it, I just pull that seed off of the shelf. Now, if I keep that seed in the packet or in my pocket, do I get tomatoes? No, this is the do part, right? right this is, right. the next part is, what, what's the next ingredient? Well, I need a fertile soil. So fertile soil is, so if the seed is the imagination, fertile soil is heart, love, and gratitude. Love that. Right? So I have to take that seed and then plant it in love and gratitude. Right. Now the third ingredient is, uh, is patience or faith. Like you don't get angry and say, where's my tomato? No, there's a gestation period. There's a blueprint within inside of that, the DNA of that seed that says tomatoes will come forth when planted in fertile soil and nurtured. Right. So then there's a, a next part is faith or patience, right? Patience or faith. And then after that, and what I find is when I, like, so the other ingredient is service. When I help other people, when I add right. value to the world, somehow, this is sort of the miracle of it, that tomato comes up bigger and more beautiful, sometimes faster, and it's like the miracle of planting. So there is the idea of imagination, right? I have to visualize and imagine what I want. It has to be clear. Then it's the doing, the planting of the seed. And then there's the waiting, because I don't care what you're doing. Like you just said, sweat equity. Like there's you, there's this doing you have to do, and then you you're not the CEO right away. You're not the successful. No, I mean right when away. we met, when we met, both of us were kind of in that kind of like, oh my God, I'm doing. And we were both of us were yeah. waiting. Like I was just starting one of my businesses. I hadn't been in the business very long. I was putting a lot of time without a lot of the return. I now very blessed that now it's you know. One of my businesses in 25 countries that able to help so many people. But it was, when, when we met, it was, it was hard. Like, yeah. it was like, you know, I don't know about you. I was just sitting there. I'm like, I want to be able to buy a house and pay off my house and yeah. do this. And, you know, now, like I was just That's sharing the with vision. you today. That's the imagination. Right. What if I do? Doing. Yeah. It's a, there's the doing, <laughs> right? And so now that's a possibility, right? And so, and, you know, there's also times where there's a flood. Like there was a flood recently in Nebraska. And it, it ruined a lot of the farms. That happens sometimes. Sometimes there's a drought. Sometimes there's... It's like me know, losing my house in Las Vegas. Totally. Right? right? So, like, you have to deal with that. you got to turn over the soil. Right. you got to figure out, okay, do we move? Do we move to a new area? Do we turn over the soil? What do we do? So that's more doing. Right? It doesn't happen in a linear fashion. Right? Life comes at you. Like, I've, I've heard this, like, 
you know, if you're at, on, a, on a heartbeat monitor and uh -huh. it's going straight across like that, what's that? This dead, dead, right? right. Like, it's these peaks and valleys, right? right? And that means you're alive. And so it's like, we just have to know there's peaks and valleys. And this is part of the patience, right? The tomato's not there right away. So you should have other things ready. So before the tomatoes so, come. So but what's helped you through the patient part? Hmm. I think a lot of, you know, we talk about patience and we go, I want to be patient, like patiently persistent. But what do you think helped you um, remain patient and know that it was going to be all right? Did you know it was going to be a season? Did you know, like, what about it? I mean, I know for me what mine was, but what was it for you? For me, it was being in a, in a community of people who were either already there or right. working alongside me. Uh, you know, I've invested, you know, just as more than most people ever invest in themselves uh, in mastermind groups and conferences. And that's time, money, and energy. You know, I've been a part of groups that are $25,000 a year and I strike a check for 25,000 and I gladly pay it. Why? So I can be side by side with amazing people. I remember the, one of the first you investments. results in their life too, right? Like, I mean, like you're here, you, you want to learn from people that are actually done it before too. I yes. mean, so many times we think that, mm. that just join a mastermind or join this and that, like you want to be around people that are better than you. Yeah, right? exactly. You don't want, you don't want to be, this, you don't want to be the person that knows all, every answer in the room. No, and this is one of the things in the mastermind I was in was you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. You want to be in the room where everyone's getting smarter, right? right. That was the quote they always said. But it, and it's not just investing large sums of money. Like, in fact, one of the reasons I know you now is because I paid $10,000 to Tony Robbins organization, right? right? I said, oh, I want to get this master university. That was the first big amount of money I paid for my own personal development that led, led me on an incredible trajectory. And it wasn't easy for you. No, I, I tell people, I say, <laughs> your dreams almost always are on the other side of a big check. Absolutely. The bigger the check you write, the bigger the breakthrough you'll have. I remember when I did the affirmate with the I am cards and I've been talking about it because in here in my planner, you know, for the past 20 something years, I've had my I am statements, right? And I'm yeah. like, I really need to have them like on a card. Yeah. Like I need to put them on a card. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have to get a, you know, a designer and then I print it and then I have to write them and this and that. And I remember when I got the design, you know, how much it was going to do to design them. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. I'm like, well, if I want to make these things right. And I remember just taking a big deep breath. And I, I love paying things off. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get a credit card and I'm going to print, you know, 250 of these. And when then, and I was like, oh my God, this feels so good though. When I started seeing yes. the results yes. uh, that was, ha that were happening from it, but you're exactly right. Like now, now, like I just like, oh yeah, sure. Let's go order another 250. Yeah. Let's go order another thousand now. Let's yeah. go do this. Now. But you have to get past that well and money is the thing that we're all concerned about worried about excited about there's so many emotions around absolutely it. so getting that handled and when you write your first check like the first one i ever wrote was for 400 dollars for this local personal development program right and i thought that was ridiculous right i'm gonna pay 400 dollars to sit in this room for three days blah 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 i know it all right. right and then when i wrote that check the guy promised me he said if you write this check i promise you it'll be your first breakthrough i wrote that check 400 bucks I walked out of there like I was on cloud nine just from writing the check, right? Because yeah. that's the biggest breakthrough. But here's the other thing that's really important to know. It's not always on the other side of the check. You know, I had in Washington, D.C., I had mentors. I had coffee with this gentleman. He was the CEO of a multi-billion dollar government contracting agency. This guy would go to the Army-Navy game with the president. You know, I was in his office one time, and this was just such respect and such beauty. 
his assistant knocked on his door. She said, uh, Paul, uh, Senator Moran's on the phone. He said, I'm with Kevin, I'll call him back. Wow. And I was like, that was power. Like he was just telling me how much he respected me. I was probably 27 at the time, he was in his 50s. And what was interesting was, it's putting myself across the table or side by side from someone who's been there, done that. At the time, I said, I think I want to be the CEO of a big company one day. It was a big publicly traded company. And uh, after spending time with him, I was like, no, that's not for me, right? But I got so much wisdom and knowledge. And so, you know, going- and you know what else you got from that? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but that's what yeah. I do. Is that you, with that one little lesson of him, you know, her walking in and saying, I'm with, Kevin right now, yeah. you do that now all the time. Yeah, that's like right. you, That's the lesson. Like it might not have been even about the CEO thing, but I see you. And I mean, I remember just waving when I walked in today, you were with Quinn, yeah. you know, and it was, you were laser focused on him. So you made him feel how important and special that he was. I mean, because that's just, he is. Because he is. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And so are you. And so are the people listening, right? When we can be present with each other and be yeah. powerful. And then we have, and so look, listen, it takes courage to ask someone to lunch ask someone to coffee. What I say is find 10 people that you admire, cut out their picture and put it on your mirror yeah. and like talk to them sort of, you know, have like these weird relationships with these pretend people. And they could be people from the past, like in history, right? right. People you admire. Um, and just, and then, but then start reaching out to them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you know, I've spent time with Richard Branson uh, at a dinner in Beverly right. Hills yeah. and also in, on his island. You right. know? I'm, and I'm sitting there and I remember reading his book back in the early 2000s. There I am on his island sitting across from him. He was, uh, uh, Kevin, uh, tell me about yourself. What do you do? You know? And then one time I was playing tennis with, with, with Richard and he says, uh, he walks up with this tennis racket and with this tennis pro and a couple other guys. And he goes, uh, I just got off the phone with a spaceship manufacturer. Pardon my English accent. He goes, uh, that's not, a, that's not a conversation every day, is it? And we're like, no. He goes, let's play tennis, shall we? You know? And I, well, he's a great example of someone who's unapologetically authentic. I mean, yeah. he is like to me when I, you know, over there. There's the picture. Joss had we, oh, yeah. we were doing our manifestation boards, and we were doing the helpful people category. And Joss is like, Mom, why you gotta put you gotta put Richard Branson on there? And yeah. I'm like, I like Richard Branson, but like you know, like I got some other people. Like I respect him a lot, but you know, I probably wouldn't be like like a top ten or something that I want to meet. Just wasn't for me. Right yeah, now. It wasn't for you. And um, so then I went to a conference and. I was calling about another conference and I wanted to know who the speakers were. And so they sent me a flyer and it says, buy 40 tickets and you can get a picture of you and Richard Branson. I'm like, oh man, like this is going to cost me 40 grand, but my kid gets to meet Richard Branson, right? And so, like you said, like once again, it was seeing the tomato. You could have picked any other vegetable tomatoes because I am president of the Tomato Haters Club. Yeah. But, um, you know, I saw that picture of Joss standing there with Richard Branson, yeah. right? And like, so the, like, here's, the, here's another important lesson about what you said. Be careful who you surround yourself with because people will suggest things to you. Right. Now, that's a good suggestion, <laughs> right. right? Right. But that's great. So, like, it's almost like you manifested that because that seed was planted and you were like, okay, well, if I can make this happen for 40 other people, that's contribution. Correct. Right? That, that's right. like your value. That's the service to the world. And my son... Guess what? You know what? Meeting Richard's pretty awesome for me too, right. right? It's like, but it's like we got to be careful who we surround ourselves because we are suggestible. That one's an awesome one, right? But right. we were surrounded ourselves by other people who were like, "Oh, you can't do that, or you're not good enough." And listen, here's here's what I'll, I'll say about that. I went out and surrounded myself with amazing people because my father is—he's an amazing father. 
wasn't a businessman. Right. He was never going to be able to encourage me or tell me how to do business. He was a government worker and a great worker. Right. So I had to kind of turn my back on the family that raised me, go to a foreign country so that I could become the kind of man that I wanted to become and leave everything behind. Right. Right. I, there's something I say uh, when I talk, and it's about having an accent. You know, it, it, we'll do a little exercise here. Like, Lauren, what language do you speak? Southern. But no, what language do you speak for? <laughs> I speak English. Oh, yeah. Why do you speak English, Lauren? Because that's what I learned. That's yeah. what I know. And you didn't even study it. You just pick it up. Right. Why'd you pick it up? Because everyone else is speaking that way. Right. Right. So we, culture gives us a way of being. Right. And that's not, it goes beyond language. It does go to accent, like your actual accent that you speak. It goes to how we dress. Our culture gives us a way of being. We have no choice in the matter. Why don't you speak Chinese? Because I wasn't around it. I no one speaks it. Right. You didn't even know it existed until right. one day you, you're like, Mom, what's this? You're like, oh, that's a different language. You're like, oh. And at that point, you had a knowing of it. So, like, oftentimes we have to remove ourselves from our environment that we are neck deep in or overhead Absolutely. with so that we can see, oh, wow, there's other opportunities and possibilities. This goes back to putting ourselves in seminars, reading books, putting ourselves around people, hiring coaches and mentors who can see us bigger than we can see ourselves. Because our culture is meant to culturize us, keep us exactly where we are, right? So we have to go out of bounds, put ourselves around powerful CEOs and other people so we can learn to become bigger. And I think that's the thing that gets me through the hard times, is when you put yourself around people who've been there, done that. Like, in fact, that guy Paul told me a great story. You know, he was, you know, he was probably going to be CEO of another company. And he was COO. And the CEO left. He thought he was next in line got fired. He got fired because his friend got the job and his friend knew he wanted the job. So he had to get rid of him. So there he was unemployed thinking he was going to be the CEO. And he was, and he was a disaster. He was a train wreck. And then of course that made way for a better, bigger opportunity. And he was like, Kevin, he said, let me tell you something. He goes in life, you have to get fired. Yeah. And if you're not getting fired, you have to fire yourself. Absolutely. Because it means you're not disruptive enough. And that's not for everyone. But, you know, it's like, in other words, like, you've got to push the envelope. And if you're not pushing the envelope, are you really being who you were meant to be? Right. And here's after, after that conversation in his, in his penthouse office overlooking Washington, D.C., from Arlington, Virginia. Uh, I think it was about seven months later, I had quit, and I was on my way to Costa Rica. I really took that to heart. He says, if you're not growing and you're not maturing and you're not exactly what you want, you have to turn your back on what it is that you're doing right. to go do what you really want to do. You know, I, I agree with that. You know, my question became, um, I had a situation that happened in my life and my question that I started to ask myself, like, am I really staying true to myself? Yeah. If I, when I make this decision, is this really true to who I am and what I stand for in the world? So in, so we've got a couple minutes left. I think that's very valuable, but what, once again, we're coming back to this whole unapologetically authentic. Yeah. What would you say to people, um, a couple things that they can do to just not have to, not feel like they have to apologize to something, that they're just like, like, I remember once someone said, oh, you dress so feminine that you've got, you're so strong in front of the room. I'm like, I dress like this for me. Yeah. I don't do it for anybody else, right? I do what I do so that I feel good about who I am and what I stand for. Yeah. It's not even about dressing. It's about everything that I do. It's like, your essence. Like, it's your right. energy. It's who you are. Well, so I'll, how do you help people like, <clears throat> make those distinctions and help them grow 
in that certainly. Yeah, I'll tell you what exactly happened to me and how I did it, and hopefully it can be a lesson for people listening or watching. Uh, so here I was successful in my penthouse condominium in Arlington, Virginia, with views of the National Cathedral, and uh, working with the White House. You know, I was successful. I opened up a spa and tanning salon. I had my dog. It was a viral sensation. Ended up on a couple of television shows. It was a wild ride. Right. But I was depressed. Yeah. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I couldn't leave my home for like two days. And finally, I just prayed. I'm like, God, like, I don't know you, but I want to know you. Like, reveal yourself to me. And then, like, this thought came to me. It was like, if you had nothing in the way, what five things would you do right now? If nothing was in the way, and you just had a magic wand, so to speak. And I said, okay, well, let me think about that. And I just thought, within a few minutes, I said, I'd learn to speak Spanish. I'd surf every day. I'd get closer to my faith. I was raised Catholic, but I really wanted to understand the truth that was behind it. I wanted to do service work. I always had a heart for service. I was doing Special Olympics and all the stuff there, but I wanted to go work with the poorest of the poor. And then I said, I want to work, I want to immigrate to a foreign country. Because I saw where I lived, there was a lot of El Salvadorians and Bolivians and Ethiopians. People came here with nothing. Yeah. Nothing. They left their, their family, their language, their culture, everything behind. Vietnamese, there was a big Korean community. I said, what if I did that? So those are the five things. I love and that. I said, so say that, yeah. say that again. So if there is, I wouldn't get my pen because I love that. So if there, if you, what would be the five things that would, if you had a would, magic wand, mm -hmm. what are five things that you would do if nothing was in the way, right? So if there was no finances in the way, no family, whatever, what are the five things you would do if you had a magic wand? And, and so here's what I did. I said, well, what's the one thing that, that can encompass all five things? And I said, Costa Rica. I could surf in Costa Rica. I could learn to speak Spanish in Costa Rica. I can join a church in Costa Rica. I can immigrate to Costa Rica, and I can do service work down in that area too. And uh, and that's what happened. Ahora hablo español. Es que bueno. You know, it's like I speak Spanish now. Right. Uh, I, I really got into my faith. Now it's powerful and it's real to me. It's not just some religion. Right. Uh, you know, I got to live in Costa Rica for several years now. I go there often. Um, you know, I do service. I did service work in Nicaragua. Now it's a part of my every year. I go to Nicaragua or at least some community. And this community we serve in Nicaragua is the poorest of the poor. And I'm like a celebrity down there. I walk in, the kids call me King Kong. I work with the local pastors. I mean, it's spectacular. That's what was so crazy too about it because I think I had just come back from Nicaragua the month before. You just gone surfing that? down there, yeah. yeah. I had just gone surfing and I'd never been surfing before. Yeah. And even though we lived in Fiji for all those years, I was never really called to the water yeah. and when I went to Nicaragua I felt like something was pulling me like pulling me yeah. and uh, so you know that was definitely a divine intervention yeah. with regards to it so well it really and it, and it scrambled my brain because I went from Washington DC traffic and you know typical you know just rule following ultimate rule following culture to Costa Rica where you're on your own roads aren't paved there's no rules you park where you want to park and it just was but how did you know that you were going to be okay I think I the didn't. thing, and I think that's what people need to be I okay didn't. with that. I'm not going to, I have to go on faith. Yeah, that's right? it. So what? It's absolute faith. So I, I'm a skydiver, right? Like I skydive. I jump out of airplanes. I jump out of a plane at 12,500 feet, and I just have faith. I didn't pack the chute. I have a guy who packs it for me. I just have faith that not only will that chute open, but if it doesn't, I know exactly what to do in case it doesn't open. I have a spare. And if that one doesn't open, oh, well, right? But 99.9% .9 of the time, it opens. So... It's like having the faith, and I'll tell you when I, so here's what I did. I put a map of Costa Rica on my bathroom mirror. Why my bathroom mirror? Stares me every morning. 
Seriously, yeah. every night, all day long. Anytime I go in there, there it is, yeah. right? It becomes a part of me. It speaks to me. It calls me forth. And at the time, I was about $2 billion in debt. You want to talk about impossible? It was impossible. There wasn't a single... There was one single person that encouraged me. It's my best friend, Louis Long. Mm-hmm. I've been his friend since the seventh grade. Great guy. Everyone else discouraged me. Keep your job. The economy's bad. Blah, blah, blah. My, my dad's like, what are you talking about? You can't quit your job. So I just decided not to tell anyone after a while. I just saved up money. And then within nine months of me making that statement, putting that map on my bathroom mirror, I was on my way to Costa Rica. It was an impossibility, right. even for me. Right. And I was driving. So I, my commitment was I was going to drive there. Halfway across country, New CNN, there's a military coup in Honduras, blah, blah, blah. I called friends at the State Department. I said, my goal isn't to drive there, it's to get there. So I parked it, left it in, uh, in Austin, Texas, and I flew to Costa Rica. Wow. No problem, right? So here's the point, and the lesson is this. What if five things, if you had a magic wand, you would do? Then what's the one thing, if there is, maybe one or two, that can encompass all five things that if you just did that one thing... All those things could happen. So it's, it's a thinking exercise. And it might take a couple days. It doesn't happen like right away. But like really just go, when you're going through the day, if I had a magic wand, I would do this. You know, I would be a runway model. I would do this. I would do that. And so here's the thing that does. Once you do it, once you take that step, you have confidence. Right. The toughest one is your first skydive. You're scared. I'm like, oh my gosh, can I do this? You know, and guess what you do? You have a coach. I have the first jump. You have radios, radios in your ear. And they're like, okay, pull on the left one, pull on the right one. They coach you all the way down. You have a guy, right? And the second one gets a little easier. Third one's a little easier. Fourth one, fifth one. Now it's easy. I jump out of planes. It's not a big deal. I'm like, okay, I'm bored. I'm sitting there falling bored. Same thing with this. After going to Costa Rica, I'm like, there's nowhere on the planet I can't just go to and live. Right. Anywhere. I'll just get off the plane. I don't even need anything. I can just go and live there. And so I think what it is is an exercise in confidence. And yes, there's fear. And uh, there's a guy named Dan Sullivan. He says, Fear, like he was in the military, and it was a sergeant that told him this, uh, or a drill, drill sergeant. He said, fear is wetting your pants. <laughs> Courage is doing what you got to do with wet pants. I love that. You know? And that's it. And so, so, yeah, there's fear. It's always there. I mean, in everything we do, we're creatures that are, you know, we walk through life afraid. Um, it's doing what we have to do or we want to do or what our vision has us do or what we're called to do. And I would say that is being true. That is staying true to who you are, knowing that you're afraid and doing it anyway. Right. And, and it doesn't start with jumping out of airplanes. It starts with little things, right? It's going to, it's not first going to join Tony's biggest group. It's going to a local program, right? You know, it's reading your first book or whatever it is. And then it, it grows and grows and grows and it grows as big as your vision will allow it. One seed, one seed can feed the entire world because those tomatoes have seeds, and those tomatoes have seeds, and those tomatoes have seeds. You can feed the entire world from one seed. It's just how big is your vision. Yeah, and, and if you're not willing to listen to all the naysayers, you know, our friend Kathy Buckley, she is an unbelievable woman. Yeah. She's a great foundation. There's a, it's actually here in town. And um, she said, I know now why God made me deaf. And she said, so I didn't have to listen to half of this shit down here, right? <laughs> and so sometimes you just kind of tune it out. Yeah. And you just, and that's really what staying true to yourself is and, you know, being just, being you, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and it's a discovery process. It's it a, is. Because we do have to shed those layers. Of, because, listen, I, I, culture isn't a curse. Culture is a gift. It's beautiful. But there are some things. It's like, okay, do I want that? No, I don't. Right. I want this, right? right. And so it's like you just have to pick and choose, and we get to pick and choose. 
right? Absolutely. Well, this has been fun. Now yes. I'm kind of addicted. I was kind of not doing this, putting this off, and now the seed's growing, right? It's true. Yeah. It's like I was like, oh, putting this off for so long. I'm like, yeah. oh, why? Shame on me. I know so many amazing people that can share. I mean, look how much I've already taken four pages of notes right here. So thank you so much. Thank I'm looking you. forward to it. Till the next time. Awesome. Stay true. Are you looking for the perfect holiday present for any woman you know? Go to laurenlahab.com. That's L-O-R-E-N-L-A-H-A-V.com and check out the IM 2020 Planner. Use code STAYTRUE for your podcast subscriber discount.